let's jump into this new series, okay? We're starting a new series today that I'm really excited about called Asking for a Friend. And here's what I want to do. I want to take three weeks, and I want to walk through some of those conversations that I've had with people. Now, I've been paying attention to some of the questions that people ask. And a couple of things that I've learned over the years of ministry is that after being in ministry for 23 years, um, I get asked a lot of the same questions. And that's because everybody wants to know. These are the same things that are on everybody's mind. And many times, the second thing I've learned is that many times a lot of people will come up to me and they'll ask me a question on behalf of someone else. Someone will start their questions this way. They'll say, so-and-so wants to know, right? Or I've got a friend who wants to know. Or we were sitting around for Thanksgiving and everybody was around the table and they were all talking about this and I didn't know her name. So, you know, they wanted to know. And, you know, most of the time I've been around long enough to know that, you know, they really want to ask these questions themselves. And, you know, what? that's okay. That's okay. Every question that I get usually comes from a personal experience. And most of the questions I get are really good. And people really want to know the truth for one reason or another. And then there are questions that people ask that are just combative. They just want to argue. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay too. But whatever the case, when you read the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus always accepts questions. And when Jesus answered, he would always refer back to the truth of God. And most of the time, what he would do at the end of the answer is that he would put the ball back in their court and leave them with a decision. So, like I said, I've been taking notes over my years of ministry, and I'm going to share a couple of questions with you over the next few weeks. And I think it's going to be good because, number one, you've probably wondered some of these questions yourself, and you kind of want to know the answer to them. Or number two, when somebody asks you these questions, if people come up to you and they're like, you're a Christian, you go to church, what do you think about this? You'll be able to give a a good answer to them. And number three, the reason I'm excited to do this is because at the end of this, I'm going to give you some decisions to really kind of take with you and really kind of think about. So, What question are we going to dive into? What questions are we going to dive into this morning? I'm going to leave you hanging for a little bit because I want to start off with a little fun this morning before we do. Y'all know that I like to have a little bit of something interesting as we go in, just a little bit of fun before we get into the meat of this. So what I did this week is I did something um, probably you've done before. I, I went and typed in a few phrases into Google for questions, and I let Google kind of automatically fill that. How many of y'all have done that? You type in a few words, Google automatically fills it in, and you're like, where did that come from, right? What, who's searching for these things? So I did this with questions, okay? So for instance, I typed in, can you, and I let kind of Google fill it in. And here, here are the top automatic results that get filled in. Can you get COVID twice, which is a, you know, fair question. People have always wanted to know that, especially if I was going through. Another one was, can you feel the love tonight? Good song, good song. Lion King fans, yeah. Or can you, here's the other big one. Can you freeze cheese? I don't know, who, who, why is that important? I don't, I don't understand that one. If you know why that's an important question, come talk to me. So I did it with why. If you type in the question why, here's what comes up. Why, this is a good one. Why do I sweat so much? I don't know, again, it sounds like a personal problem. Here, here's another one. Why do dogs eat grass? Now, I've wondered that. How many of y'all have wondered that? I ha- okay, I'm the only one. That's okay. Um, and then here's the, here's the last one. Why is my poop green? Y'all, sorry, sorry. I'm just, I'm just telling you what's in there, okay? 
So since that was getting weird, I also, I just researched, I just typed into Google, most asked questions of 2021. And here's a few that I got. Now, one of the questions was, is Europe a country? Which leads me to ask, where do you go to school? Come on. Another question I'm sure comes from young men. One of the top 10, this was in the top 10 questions, was, is Ariana Grande married? Like, you have a chance, all right? But then some of the questions are real. Like, here's one of the top 10 questions. How can you mend a broken heart? People struggling with relationships, a breakup, or another question was, how can you make money fast? You know, people struggling financially. And you know, whatever the case is, everybody's got questions. And chances are you do too. So what I'm going to do for the next couple weeks is I'm going to focus on some of the most common questions I've received regarding faith. And to start things off, here's what I want to do. I want to take you through a conversation that I had a little while back. Okay, conversation that I had with somebody a a while back that started off very simple and then kind of got complex, which is generally what happens. They kind of move through stages. And here's how it started. It all started off this way. They came up to me and said, Pastor, what makes a bad word a bad word, right? I mean, have you ever wondered that? I, I have. Like, what makes a curse word so bad? I mean... Is there this list out there of bad words that we can't say? And then, if there is a list, then who gets to decide what's on that list? And chances are, if you've had kids, you've had to have this conversation at home. Just be honest, how many of you adults, how many of you with kids have had that conversation at home about bad words? Yeah, we all have. I remember I get some of the funniest stories from parents dealing with little ones and, you know, complicated words. I remember one uh, family coming up to me and they told me how their little boy came home from school and they had a new friend and their new friend had a very hard name to pronounce and the way that they were pronouncing it wasn't correct. (laughs) And when they said there, they said, hey, I want to talk about, and they, you know, said the name and the parents were like, excuse me? (laughs) And then as they got into the conversation, they realized, well, you're mispronouncing the name and, you know, don't ever say that again, Right. And that caused the little boy to want to know, well, why is that word wrong? Why can't I say that? What is it about that? And we've all had those conversations. Of course, he didn't know. But they had to go through that question of why. And as we get older, you know, sometimes we still wonder why. Why it's so bad. And sometimes the older we get, we start to think that it's not that big of a deal at all. Because terrible language is everywhere. It's in everything we watch. It's mixed into all types of conversations that we have with other people. And I think that the older we get as adults, man, we really need to stop and think about the words that we use. When it comes in the workplace, when it comes at the ball field, when it comes at home, and little ears are listening. So... Why is one word wrong and others aren't? What's the list? So you know what? When it comes to Scripture, curse words aren't anything new. They've always been around. And the Bible addresses this in a few places. 
So let's look at this together. I got a couple pieces of scripture. And those of y'all, if you got your message notes open, go ahead and open those up. We're going to fill in some blanks. Those of you who are online, um, go ahead and open up those message notes as well, and we'll fill in some blanks. But those of you who are in my James Bible study, you'll remember this one from James chapter 3. Let's start here. It says this. This is the brother of Jesus. He says, we use our tongues to praise our Lord and Father, but then we turn around and we curse people whom God made like himself. So praises and curses come from the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, this should not happen. That's James teaching us on this. And then here's another verse from Ephesians from the Apostle Paul. He says this. He says, don't use bad language. Say only what is good and helpful to those you're talking to. What will give them a blessing? And then, that's Paul, one more piece of scripture that I think should give all of us pause when we consider what we're saying. Because Jesus says this in Matthew 12. Jesus gives us this warning. He says, I can guarantee that on judgment day, people will have to give an account for every careless word they say. So after reading all this, here's what we need to understand, is that we need to understand our words have power. They do. And the reason for that, the reason we believe that is because of what Ephesians says and other pieces of Scripture says. We have the ability with the words that we use to either lift people up or to tear them down. So when it comes to using language that belittles or hurts other people, I really think we need to give pause and think about what we're saying and why we're saying it. And not only that, not only that, but if I could take this even a step further, I really think that we need to think about the words that we use when it comes to God's name. Because the Bible is very clear on this. In Exodus 27, it says, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And the reason I bring this up is because of how careless we get with using his name. I even think so much, we have watered this down so much that we don't even think about it anymore. And you may come up to me and say, well, Jimmy, I don't ever say the name of Jesus. Like, I don't say Jesus' name in that way. And but, but then how carelessly do we say, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, over and over and over again. And you and I might argue about whether or not that's a big deal. But if we really believe, going back to what Scripture teaches us, if we really believe our words matter, if we really believe what Scripture teaches us, then the only time that we should speak the name of God or Jesus is when we keep it holy, in reverence, right? I think that we can all, as Christians, I think that we can agree on that, and we should make every effort to do that to keep his name holy. I remember the first time I really thought about this. Um, I was a youth director, and I was, gosh, I was 22 years old as a youth director, and I was leading these kids through the Appalachian Trail with my senior pastor, Willie Beasley. Let me change that. Uh, Willie Beasley was leading them through the Appalachian Trail. Thank goodness I wasn't leading them through. We would have never survived. But the whole way through, I remember the pastor, Willie, he was just kind of just kind of irking him with how many times the kids were saying, oh my God, oh my God. And so that night, sitting around the fire, he, he wasn't upset. But we just sat around and we talked about God's holiness and how we take something away from his name when we use it so flippantly. 
So you know what, that's, that's, that's part of this conversation, but let me take you back to the other part of the conversation. Let's get back to why we shouldn't use ugly words. And it just so happens that Jesus really gets at why our words matter so much in Luke chapter 6. And in that chapter, he's teaching, and he says, you know, the words you use reveal what's in your heart. So really, what makes a word bad is the thought behind it. So with that teaching in mind, I guess you could say that if you really want to know what a person's like on the inside, like what they're really, if people want to know what you're really like on the inside, then you know what, just stop and just pay attention to what they say. Like listen to it. Because Jesus would say, That our words reveal the condition of our heart. And our words can reveal just how close we are in our relationship with God. So so let me ask you, when it comes to this question, what do your words say about what's in your heart? Maybe think about that the next time you start to talk about someone, or you get upset about something, or, or you just can't take it anymore, and I, you know, you just got to speak your mind on this, that, or the other, right? Are my words, are they honoring God, or are they dishonoring God? Because words are powerful, and the Bible says that our words have the chance to lift up or to tear down. So back to that conversation with the guy. We talked about this a little bit. And he starts off with that simple question regarding words. And then, and then it kind of moves. That, that conversation kind of gradually gets a little bit more complex. And then he asks this. He says, well, then who decides what's right and wrong? Like, how do we decide what's right and wrong? Right? That, like, do I get to decide it? But, like, he, here's where he's going with this. He's like, if I can be okay with it, then is it okay? Like with the words I use, with what I or what I do, like if I'm okay, is it okay? Or 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 I'm at work and everybody else thinks that those words are okay or those actions are okay, you know, then then if everybody else agrees that it's okay, is it okay? Or or is there something else? Like, should I be looking at something else? That's a good question. You know, when it comes to what's right and wrong, you know, there's three different ways we decide generally what's acceptable and what's not. So so let me share these with you. And I got Point number one, two, and three, when it comes to our actions. Number one is this. Generally, when we want to decide something, we start here with option one is I decide. Like if there's a question I'm, I'm looking at or something I want to do, then I trust me. I think I'm a pretty good judge of character. I think I know what's best for me, so I am going to make that decision. The second option is that the world decides. Culture decides. We kind of sit back and we're like, you know what, well, everybody else has thought about this. Everybody else thinks this is a good idea or this is the way we should go or this is what we should do. Then, you know what, then what, how, how, who am I to say any different? So I'm just going to go along. That way must be right. But then there's a third option. The third option is that God decides. And this means that when Scripture is clear, like when this is outlined in the Bible, I'm going to let God's Word dictate to me what's right and wrong. And how I live my life. So if I'm honest, we use a hybrid of these three things. Okay? 
We do this all the time. When it comes to questions in life, when it comes to this question or that question, we'll say, you know what, I'm gonna go with option number two because that seems to be what's right. Or you know what, when it comes to this though, oh gosh, when it comes to this, I'm gonna decide because I know what's best. But, 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 in this other area of my life, I know what the Bible says, so then I'm gonna go with option number three. And my point of that is that when it comes to the decisions we make and the actions and what we do next, we use a hybrid and we mix and match all the time. But honestly, God doesn't want it to be this way. And just as our words will be judged, our actions are going to be judged as well. Romans 14, 12 says this. It says, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Now let's be clear here. I'm not saying that your salvation is going to be judged. For those of you who know Jesus Christ and accepted him into your heart and into your life, your sins are forgiven. You are saved by the blood of Jesus. That's already been taken care of. But there will come a point where one day we'll have to stand before Jesus and we'll have to give an account of our life. And we are going to have the opportunity to be rewarded. And so it's important that we get this stuff right because I want you to stand before Jesus and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. So that's one reason we gotta get this right. Another reason we gotta get this right is because have you ever noticed, go back to those, go go to those options again. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when it comes to option number one and number two, morals seem to diminish over time. You've noticed this, right? I mean, I'm not the only one on Facebook or looking on Netflix going, I can't believe people are posting that. (laughs) I can't believe people are watching this. I think we've all said that. What I've noticed is a lot of times when we leave it with option one and option number two, standards don't always get higher. Sometimes they get lower. So it's important that we wrestle with this. And you know what I'm going to say you know that I'm going to say that what we need to do with those decisions in life is that we got to zero in on option number three. We have to make it our moral standard to follow God's will, to show love and kindness to others, and to exercise the fruit of the Spirit, even if culture says differently, even if I don't feel like it at the time. Because again, going back to these options, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but option number two and option number one, they don't always lead us to the right decision. But option number three will get us there every time. Let's use kids as an example again. If you got kids, how many times have your kids asked you to do something and you say no? And immediately when you tell them no, what do they do? They got option number one. But I think it's a good idea. Or how quickly when you still say no, they jump to number two. But everybody else says, or all the, here's the best, all the other parents are letting Right? So, Dad, if it's, if it's okay for all of them, then why isn't it okay for me? So, Shannon and I, when we were raising the girls, we realized, you know, we're accountable to God for these two, right? So, we would tell them no sometimes because we're going with option number three. And I know what you think you know, right? I know what you want to do. I know what you... You think you know what's best, and I know what everybody else says, but that's not what we're, we're going with option number three. And the beauty of this is that the older the girls got, the less we had to say no in life because our values, 
Scripture's values, right, became their values. So when it came to those choices between right or wrong, it's not going to go by way of selfish motivation. It's not going to go by way of what culture says. We're, we're going to go with what we know is what God says. So with that being said, let's be honest. Well, we live in a time where there's a lot of challenges. We face a lot of big dilemmas. And we've got questions and we, we've got causes that, that we have to put through a filter. So when it comes to things like faithfulness and marriage and abortion and racism and violence and you know, what, the, the basic concern for people that are hurting, like how we respond in those moments, it needs to reflect God's standards. So, so with that being said, how do we understand God's direction? Like, how do we understand his standards? Because that's the big question. Well, if there is right and wrong, how do I know what God wants? Well, let me give you three ways to think about it. Number one, you've got to dig into God's word. You've got to dig into his word. Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young man stay pure? You want to know how to live a good life? By reading your word. By reading God's word and by following it. We got to know God's word so that we can live it out. You know, some of the questions we have is not even a question. Like, we don't even have to wonder the answer because the Bible clearly says what the answer is. The second thing I would say is that we got to surround ourselves with godly people. You got to surround yourself with godly people who hold you accountable and can be a great example. That's why we push journey groups. That's why we have the ladies group that meets and, and the men's group that meets uh, for dinners and, and studies, right? You get yourself around that group of people and you're like, you know what? I can trust what these people are saying because I know they have my best interest at heart. We're all seeking God together. And I know these people aren't going to lead me astray. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen puts it this way. You've heard this verse. It says, just as iron sharpens iron, friends sharpen the minds of each other. And here's probably the best one, though, for me. I love this one. I got to choose in advance. Number three, I got to choose in advance that I'm going to follow God's will and not my way. When it comes to anything in life, whether it's the language I'm using or dating or money or job situation, whatever it is, whatever it may be, what I'm going to do is I'm already going to make up my mind to follow what God wants. I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to wait until I'm in the moment. I'm not going to wait till that decision is due. Like, I'm not going to put it off. No, no, no. Before anything happens, like, I'm going to make up my mind. If God's word is clear on this, and I know what God wants me to do, I'm following that way. Romans 12 puts it this way. I like this. It says, don't live the way this world lives. Let your way of thinking be completely changed. Then you'll be able to test what God wants for you. And you'll agree that what he wants for you is right because his plan is good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. That means when I know this and I believe in this, then I'm going to make my mind up ahead of time. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to make my mind up in advance that I'm following God's will. When it comes to those options, go back to those options one more time. When it comes to those options, I'm going with option number three every time. A great illustration of this is Joshua. If you read the book of Joshua and they're entering into the promised land, when it gets to the end of the book and they're in the promised land, Joshua's so worried for the people of God. 
And he has every right to be worried because now that they're settled, he knows that things are going to be different. And so he looks at them and he says, you know what, I don't want you to forget about God. The longer we stay here, the more comfortable you're going to get, and the more you're going to want to make decisions, the more everybody else is going to think they know what's best. But when it comes to what you're supposed to do, I want you to keep God first and foremost in your mind. So he stands up at the end of his book, and in Joshua 24, 15, he says this. He says, you must choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Not tomorrow. Don't put it off. I'm telling you right now, as your king, as we move forward, whatever's next, we're going to make this decision today. We're not going to wait until it comes up to decide. So you decide what you're going to do today. But as for me and my family, we're serving the Lord. Done. Already decided. I'm choosing God's way every day. So, let me follow up this question with another question. Have you decided in advance that number three is your true north? Like, what what is keeping you from following God's way completely? Like, we all do this. What is that area of your life where you got this hybrid kind of going? where you kind of mix and match. Because number three is the best option. And if you don't choose option number three, then you may fall victim to the last part of this conversation that I'm having with this guy. So let's go back to the conversation. It started with bad words. And then we kind of morphed into, well, how do we know what's right and wrong and who makes those decisions? And then it moved into this area. Here's the next question that he had. He says, well, if Christians know that that option number three is what they should be doing, then why don't they do it? And here's what he's getting at, and this is what we talked about. In other words, why are there so many hypocrites in the church? Like, if Christians know they're not supposed to use bad language, right, and if they know they're not supposed to follow their own sinful desires, right, they're not supposed to follow what the world says and all this, they're supposed to live for Christ, then why don't they do it? And that's a valid point. That's a great question. Why is it that it seems like the church can be filled the church universal all over can be filled with hypocrites. Some people wonder, why are Christians just as messed up as the rest of the world? See, now we're getting into the meat of this conversation. Now we're getting kind of deeper. So again, we go back in our conversation, we go back to what it means for me, for us as a Christian believer to live out our faith in our words and actions. And let's be honest, because most of the time, a lot of us, we get tripped up when it comes to following God's plan, right? What God wants for us. We often, we're so tempted to do what the rest of the world is doing. We're so tempted to go with option number one because I know what's best for me and I want to live for me. But yet that's selfish. And it only turns out bad most of the time. And a lot of times we end up falling flat on our face. And we're not always great examples. But as Christians... We know this is why Jesus came, right? To get rid of that sin that trips us up, that keeps us separated from God. He came to forgive us 
when we fail. And to lift us back up. To give us a new life. To give us the chance to start over. We know that the resurrection of Jesus gets rid of that sin and reestablishes that connection with the Holy God. And with all, that being understand, uh, uh, with all that being said, we also understand that being connected with Jesus and really following him, it means that I have to die to what I want. It means in life, when it comes to following this, that, or the other, that I'm called to pick up my own cross, which means I gotta give up my own desires and I gotta follow completely after what Jesus wants. And the reason we know this is because this is what Jesus taught in the Gospels, right? And in Matthew 5, Jesus says that your life, when you pick up your cross and when you follow him and when you give out completely to him, that your life should be light. That your life should be this light that shines for the gospel in a dark world. That's our goal. We should want to be a shining example of Jesus, but that's just it. This guy is like, I know people that claim to be Christian, and they go to church, and they go to Bible studies, and they can repeat Scripture and all these things, but they ain't a light. And I can understand where he's coming from. Because I think that we would all agree that we don't really have a problem with people who claim to be bad, and then they're bad, <laughs> right? That's, we don't have a problem with that. They're not, they're not saying, when it, like, this is who they say they are, right? No, 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 the problem we have is for those who claim to be a Christian, but then they don't live it out. And what I want you to know is that this show of Jesus is crazy too. Jesus actually calls people hypocrites in the gospel. In fact, the word hypocrite is used 18 times in the gospels. You know what's interesting is that every time Jesus says the word hypocrite, he's talking to churchy people. And, and by the way, I think that Jesus is the only one that can call someone a hypocrite because he's the only one that truly knows the heart, right? I think we need to be careful when we do it. But Jesus is pretty upset. He gets pretty upset with the religious leaders who claim to know God, but they don't really act like it. Because he knows the problem. You know, the problem with this, it doesn't just lie with the individual. Like, that, that, that's a big problem, like what you're doing and how this is affecting you. But also, there's another problem. It's more than that. The problem is that this really turns people off. Right? Because, again, back to Matthew 5, we're supposed to be that shining light, that example. That's what we strive for. So here's what I'd say. Those people that are really searching for Jesus. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're new here and you just want to know who Jesus is and you're still kicking the tires of this whole Jesus thing or you're online and you're still asking like, can Jesus really love me? Can he really have a purpose for me? Is there really joy and peace that comes in Jesus like other people say there is that surpasses all understanding? Like if that's you, for those that are really searching, here's a little warning. There can be danger in mistaking a hypocrite as the way of Jesus and then dismissing them both. You see what I'm saying? You see, this idea 
that when someone claims to be a Christ follower, but their life doesn't really match up to what I think it means to be a Christ follower or a Christian, and if that's the way of Jesus, then I'm out and I'm done. And the danger of this is obvious. Because the church is full of messy people. We're all messy. And we don't get it right. And we're not trying to say that we get it right 100% of the time. But we serve the one who does get it, who did get it right. Jesus was never a hypocrite. He never backed out. He never messed up. He never showed any signs of hypocrisy. You see, we need to understand that Jesus is perfect. We aren't. Right, So I don't base what I believe or what I follow on various people. No, I base what I believe and what I follow on the person of Jesus Christ. And that's different. So for those that call themselves a Christian, if, if, of course, that's most of us here. If we call ourselves a Christian, What does it mean for us to walk out of here and carry that light? Because when we choose to surrender our lives to Jesus, it means that we should be different. And it means that we should be getting better. It means that we should be transformed. Not instantly. Some of it happens instantly, but most of it is gradual over time. You see, the the problem is, for most people, when they think that being a Christian equals perfection, just because people follow Jesus doesn't mean we're perfect, but what it does mean is that I'm following the one who is, and I'm allowing Jesus to transform me, and I'm allowing Jesus to make me into a new creation, something good, we good United Methodists, we call sanctification. We're being transformed. And this transformation that we're in, this choice to become more like Jesus, to choose his light, and to let the light of the gospel shine from us, it's a choice that we have to make each and every day. So if you're a Christian, you're a city on a hill. And we are being transformed by Jesus and we should shine his light so bright that other people would be drawn to it. We're not saying that we're perfect, but we serve the one who is. And we're committed to him. And we're committed to being changed by the one who is. You see, I, that's, that's my prayer for this church is that we're being transformed for all the churches. That our lives will be a breath of fresh air to those people who are suffocating in the darkness. That when people see us, they are drawn to this Jesus that can change lives and that gives a new life. So I ended my conversation with reminding this person, you know, no one's perfect. And I agree. The church, though, we should be the ones who are committed to following the one who is perfect. That our people and the people of the church are shining examples of Jesus. So, this conversation with this guy, man, this happened like 15 years ago. This was a long time ago. This was back, I think, I think this was actually back when I was in seminary and we were having these conversations. But I wanted you to hear it and not to pressure you, but people are watching you. They have questions about faith. They have questions about whether or not this whole Bible thing is true. 
you know, whether or not giving my life to Jesus is really worth it? And my conversation then would lead me to ask this question today. When it comes to the words and the actions that, that you're deciding right now, what do your words and actions say about you? When people look at your life, do they look at you? And do they see that shining example? Or do they look and just shake their head and say, there goes another hypocrite. Let's pray. Jesus, so many things this morning. God, when it comes to the words that we use, how much power they hold, God, please help remind us that we should build others up. To use words that bring glory and honor to you and everything that we say. Knowing, God, that they reveal what's in our heart. God, we want our hearts to be pure, so purify us, God. And when it comes to our actions and what we do, the, the decisions that we make each and every day, God, help us be reminded that we should always choose your way. God, even though we don't understand it, even though sometimes we want to go with option number one because I think I know what's best, or option number two, you know, because everybody else says so, and it's going to be weird if I don't, so... God, just help us be reminded that your way is always the best way. God, and when it comes to being an example, God, I don't only pray for our church, I pray for every church. That every Christian would be that shining example, that city on a hill, that our words and our actions, that our lives, God, would be such a great example that people would be drawn to you. Jesus, I pray for anyone in here or online that, that, that might be seeking you this morning. That might be confused because of what they've seen and heard from other Christians that didn't necessarily really match up with what they thought. Jesus, just, just touch their hearts. And re remind them that while no one is perfect, you are. God, and you came to be that amazing example of God's presence to save us from our sin. God, I just pray that we would give ourselves to you each and every day. We thank you for your death and resurrection and the life that it, that, that it brings and the transformation that you want to do within our hearts and in our lives. God, help us to walk out of here and be the best example that we can possibly be for you and your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.